Good morning, everybody. All right, let's open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one to see back in front of you, or someone can hand it to you. Raise your hand, because we all need Bibles. If anyone doesn't have a Bible, you're going to be in trouble. I'm just kidding. All right. We're going to start to pick up the pace here. Um, last week, we talked about the fall of man. Uh, just a, a sad day on earth, obviously. But at the end, um, you see that man, when he'd sinned, he'd hid from God. He tried to cover his own shame with the, by his own means, the fig leaves. And then we read in verse 21 of chapter 3, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Verse 24, And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden uh, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so uh, man gets kicked out of his home, work becomes difficult, relationships are strained, and here we are. And up to this point, God had created a place that was designed to be good. God had wanted goodness for man. Goodness is when we choose God. That is where goodness is found, when we choose God. What he says is good. When we choose to align our lives with what he says, we experience goodness. When we choose to go against that, when we choose to go the opposite, choose from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so to speak, death comes into our lives. We've all tasted of death, have we not? We are all suffering. And so God decided in there to put a prophecy uh, that the seed, uh, where is it there in verse uh, 8? Actually, no. Sorry. Uh, verse 14 says, so The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl in your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, or uh, frustration, between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And very interesting, this, the seed of the woman being uh, a foreshadow of Christ. And that, yeah, you'll strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so God's redemptive plan is kind of hidden there, that man would be redeemed from this state of sin, the state of death, through the seed of the woman. As we go through Scripture, that is revealed more and more and more until we see Jesus Christ on the earth, paying the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so chapter 4 Verse 1 says, Adam knew his wife, or if you're in the later translation, it says, made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And so Adam and Eve are obeying the Lord's command to be fruitful and multiply. And the first child they had was named Cain. And Cain sounds like the Hebrew word for acquired. Not important now, but when we get into chapter 5, it will be. Abel was born, and that name, that name means like a keeper of sheep type of thing, a keeper of animals, and that's what he did. And so here we have the second 
half of verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Verse 3, in the course of time, Cain brought some fruit, uh, some of the fruits of the soil, as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. And so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Apparently at this time it seems as though um, mankind had still had some kind of access, maybe physical access to God. We don't, we don't really know. But many people have had different types of views on this. Uh, Genesis 3 verse 24 says, And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden a cherubim, uh, Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, in some ancient rabbis, as well as early church fathers, Jerome being the most prominent, believed that man still had access to physical access to God in the Garden of Eden at this point. However, they were protected from eating from the tree of life, lest they should live. This is all speculation, obviously. We're just trying to figure out what's going on here. How were they able to give these sacrifices? How would they know whether they were accepted or not? And so many believe they still had it. And access to God, they just could not dwell there, and they were they weren't able to eat from the tree of life. And so, uh, it's interesting that the phrase "the cherubim guarded the way to the tree of life." So, some conservative scholars uh, at that time believe that there might have been access because God dwells between the cherubim, and so they're thinking, you know, this imagery all lines up. This is mostly speculation, uh, again, but. And answer some questions. Either way, for the reasons that are not clearly stated, Cain and Abel were giving offerings to God. What that was, what that looked like, how that happened, I, we don't really know. But it's most likely that God established prescribed conditions on how he was to be worshipped. And this might have been instituted right there in, in chapter um, 3, where God made skins for them. Where they made, where God made skins to cover Adam and Eve's sacrifice, uh, sins, a sacrifice, if you will. We know that the Scripture says that without the shedding of blood, there is no taking away of our sins, and we see that Adam and Eve tried to go ahead and cover their shame by their own means. God says, "Man, that's not going to work." And while the law of Moses would not be established yet for quite a long while, we do see God had given many commands already. We know that the, the Sabbath was instituted in the garden. We know that God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know that they were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And later we know that Noah, hey, he, what did he do? He took how many kinds of each kind of animal? Two. What about the, yeah, what about the seven? How did he know that they were clean or unclean? What did he do with them after he got off the ark? There was some communication here between God and man that's not necessarily written down. But God is letting people know, hey, what, what his requirements are. And so, obviously, uh, these commands were given by God that preceded the law of Moses. You know, So many think that God might have instituted these requirements for worship where it says that the Lord God made skins of uh, skins, uh, garments of skin for Adam and Eve, his wife, and he clothed them. An innocent animal had to die to cover their shame. Their own attempts at covering their sin wasn't going to work. 
And so, again, for reasons that aren't clearly stated, Cain and Abel, they brought their offerings to God. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil of the ground as an offering to the Lord. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions, and some of the firstborn unto his flock. And so each of them brought their offerings to God. I find it interesting because I'm pretty familiar with this. How many of you are pretty familiar with the story? Yeah. What do we focus on? Why weren't they accepted? We focus right on the offerings, don't we? What did they bring? Is that what you did? I did that. I did that over and over and over. We focus right on the offerings. That's kind of a half-truth because it says that the Lord looked on favor with on Abel and his offering in verse 4. And verse 5 says, But on Cain, on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so the danger is that we focus on the offering and forget about the person offering it. And, I, and, and that's so easy to do. The fact is that God looked upon favor on Abel and his offering. And I believe of, often the danger is we look at the offering that, to see if that what that reflects the heart. There can be truth in that. But quite often, you see the in the New Testament, you have a, a woman who hardly had anything and gave a, a, a penance of nothing in the, in the offering plate. And Jesus said, hey, did you see her? She gave more than all these people. Why was that? Obviously the heart, right? So God's looking at a, a different criteria for offering. Why was Abel and his offering accepted and Cain's and his offering rejected? Some think that Cain offered the work of his hands, fruits, and such, while Abel gave a blood sacrifice, right? And if it were a sacrifice for sin, that would be understandable, but the word here is used in a broader sense for offering. And also we know that in Leviticus 2 and 3 that grain offerings, or a meal offering is what they call it, and blood sacrifices were, were acceptable offerings to God. This seems to be a free will situation here. But I've found the best place to get the answers for the Bible are actually in the Bible. And so uh, if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us actually why his sacrifice was accepted. Why do we care about this? <laughs> That's the big question. Why do we care about this? Because I think it affects us personally about our offerings to God, what we offer to God. What does it say there in chapter 11, verse 4? It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still, though it, I'm sorry, and though it, he being dead still speaks. Abel offered his offering by faith. Faith. That he believed in God. He trusted in God. Cain did not offer his offering in faith. He was not believing and trusting in God. And it's important for us to know personally that sacrifices without faith are worthless to God. Sacrifices without faith are worthless to God. So because the check clears does not mean necessarily that God accepted it. 
Yes, it went into the budget and all that great stuff, but just because, you know, money clears or someone takes something does not mean that God accepts it. And those of us who are spiritually, um, you know, sensitive towards that, hey, God, I, I want you to, I realize that, you know, I'm giving something physical, but there's a spiritual transaction happening in our hearts, right? We're concerned with these things as Christians, as followers of Christ. Lord, we want to have that right heart. We want you to accept it's not the money, it's it's our heart, and it reflects what's going on in our hearts, right? And for us, you know, uh, I do, I, we don't, you know, if, let's say if I work at a wood shop, I'm not going to come bring, you know, two by fours to the church necessarily. So we, we live in a different society. I mean, that can be good. So we offer our what we make, a part of that to the Lord as, a, as an offering, as, as the Lord works that out in our hearts. And notice that we can... We can have a Cain or an Abel scenario. We can have a Cain and Abel scenario. And I think it's important to look at how God is, is talking to these people, and, and work uh, specifically with Cain, to, you know, it reflects on what, when, what we go through when we give to God, not only giving of our money, but our time and our, and our energies, why we're even here this morning. Does that make sense? Is it acceptable to God just because we walked in the door? Oh, God, look at the sacrifice I made. I got up and I walked to church. But, you know, it's like, accept this. I know it's hard, believe me. But it's important for us to note, again, that sacrifices without faith are worthless. So God did not accept Cain's, Cain or, nor his offering. Verse 6, And then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face downcast? How many of you take rejection well? How many of you take rejection from God well? I don't like it. It does something in me. It reveals my character, reveals my pride, reveals what's going on, you know? But God starts to talk and goes, If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you... Do not do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. One of the things I really appreciate about God is that he is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. God begins to ask Cain about why he was feeling angry and downcast. And again, God is not lacking information when he asks questions, but he's trying to make Cain aware of what's going on in his heart why he was not accepted. What happened when he did what he did? He's trying to get him to work through it and think instead of just emoting. He's asking questions to do this. God also lets him know what he needs to do to change to be accepted. One thing that, you know, irks me about Little League, Little League, no, I'm not saying Little League all, in general, there's a lot of great things, it was that you know, and the little, everybody wins. Everybody gets a trophy. You know, we all have a pizza party and all that stuff. I think that's great. But I think sometimes that can just keep on going. <laughs> you know what I mean? It can affect how we live. Instead of saying, hey, you lost. Oh, you just crushed the little ego. But if you do it right, if you walk up to him and go, hey, we lost. What could we have done as a team? What could we have done individually that would have contributed to a win? I know this is competition and stuff. But, I mean, think about it. 
I know the philosophy behind it, you know, grow grow those little egos, don't hurt anybody. Develop the un, un, unspoken understanding that no matter what I do, I'm accepted and I'm a winner. Am I pushing any buttons? I understand that. I don't want to hurt little kids, you know, and all that stuff. But I'm just saying that it rolls up until sometimes we get to be adults. And we can do whatever we want, and there are no consequences, and anybody tries to tell us some truth, I want my trophy on my pizza party. Anybody? Entitlement generation? <laughs> I'm accepted, you know? There are no consequences to my actions, just grace. Boy, I love grace. And I need grace in my life. And God has plenty of it. But the thing about God's grace is it's grace to change. I love that about God. A sea of grace that covers us. Absolutely. But God is truth and love. And he speaks to our hearts and says, Son, daughter, you know I love you. But these are the things that I'm working on in your life. And if you do well, you'll be accepted. If you don't, here's the consequences. And God lays it out for us. And we're in a reap and sow world. We're in an if and then world. That's the way God set it up. If I live like a madman, there are going to be consequences. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. God lays these things out in our lives. God's not interested in giving false affirmation and platitudes. He, is, he loves us, and that love involves grace and truth. You know, Cain, I do not accept you or your offering when your heart is like this. It's not acceptable. Cain, I, I know you're feeling rejected and angry. That does not change the fact that you are not accepted. What you have done is unacceptable. Those are hard words, aren't they? If you want to change, then do well. If you want to change, do well. And Cain understood what that meant. I'm not quite sure what that meant. I have my suggestions, as we've talked about in the Genesis class. But if you don't change, sin lies at your door, and its desires to have you. But you must roll over it. You know, church, sometimes we get in the same spot as Cain. You know, we go through the motions. We're writing the check. We're going to church. We're serving the church. We're in fellowship. We're in prayer meetings. We're leading worship. We're involved in the community. We're helping the kids' ministry. Help orphans on the other side of the world. And all these things. They're great. But sometimes, uh, you know, those can be a substitute for a, a personal relationship with God. Sometimes we, we let sin rule our lives. And the Holy Spirit is faithful to come to us, which is God's grace. The very fact that he even talks to us shows us that we're his sons and daughters. The very fact that he convicts uh, our hearts shows that and chastises us shows that he loves us. Because, hey, do you chastise someone you don't even know? I mean, some of us do, but I'm just saying... You know, other, other kids are like, hey, you know, that kid's crazy. See you later. No, but what do we do with our own children?
parents. Why? Because we love and we care. When God gets in our lives, oh, that's grace. Because he can see the trajectory of our lives, the danger that's ahead. The Lord begins to point out these areas that are contrary to a life of faith in Christ. And he points us to repent and remember and return to our first love. And I believe that God often withholds what he could be blessing us with and doing through us when we're living this way. Jesus could not do things in certain places because of their lack of faith. I think about that in my own life. God, what could you be doing? You know, and stupid flesh. <laughs> Who's going to save me from this body of death? You know? And the answer isn't, you know, just start doing the right thing. That's part of it. But it's just start connecting with the Lord. Make Him the apple of your eye, your focus, and all these other things start to click into place, the filter begins to happen. As I put my eyes upon Jesus, the full is when his wonderful face, you know, the things of the earth become strangely dim, the light of his glory and grace. They do. And relationships start to be put in the proper focus, and my attitude, my heart, and what's going on, starts. I start to have wisdom and understanding that I need my soul starts to find rest. And I have peace. And, I, and the things that are said to me or about me or to people begin to be filtered by the truth. And the reason why I do what I do becomes clear. Boy, look at the motives map for that. And so, you know, let us respond to the work of the Holy Spirit who calls us to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus not of Cain. Amen? And so God confronts Cain like a loving father, a concerned father with grace and truth, and he lays it out. Here are the options. And now how does Cain respond? How often do we respond? Verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out in the field. Well, hopefully we don't respond this way. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, just make a note. Don't don't talk back to God. Uh, Ten. And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And so God confronts Cain. Just as he did with Adam and Eve, God begins to ask more questions. He says, what have you done? Where is your brother? And God knows the answers to these things, and it's for Cain's benefit that God is probing, because God is trying to bring Cain to a place where he would confess his faults, his sin to God. If, if Cain confesses his sin to God, it gives God the basis to be able to make provisions for Cain's sin to forgive him. That is it. This is what God desires with sinful human beings, right? That we go to God, we confess our sins, and through faith in Christ, His provision on the cross, we're forgiven. The mercy and the grace of God, we need that. 
But note, what did God say? Cain say to God, he said, hey, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? I have no knowledge of the situation. Am I supposed to care about my brother? Yes, you're supposed to care about your brother. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. This is how we're to love one another, look out for one another. God wanted acknowledgement, and what happened? Cain lied. God wanted remorse, and Cain hardened his heart. God's seeking out sinners today so that he might give grace and forgiveness through the provision of Jesus Christ. When we have sinned against God and one another, God's seeking that we would acknowledge our faults to one another for healing, the Bible says, yes, but ultimately to God. King David said, hey, against you and you alone have I sinned in Psalm 51, right? Ultimately is God. God's desire that mankind stop making excuses and offering sacrifices that will never take away sin and call out to God for mercy and tell him it was me, I did it, I was wrong. Forgive me, please. And 1 John 1, 9 says, hey, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to confess to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that promise. My part is confess. His part is to cleanse from all. I like that. That's a great deal. I'll take that. If we acknowledge it and we ask for forgiveness, God forgives. I love that. God's asking Cain these questions. Hard, uncomfortable, difficult questions. You know, there's a proverb, Proverb 30, 12. It says, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet it, yet it is not washed from its filthiness. You know, it's mankind's default. It's our default, everybody, to justify our position, to hunker down, to blame everybody else. That is our default, and we must not let it rule in our lives. It's the woman you gave me, Lord. <laughs> Amen. It's pride. The reason why Cain was not accepted is because he wanted to be accepted on the basis of his own works, not God's work of grace. And this is the big contrast, and this is where we're going to kind of wrap it up here. This is the big contrast. You have Abel, who offered something in faith, trusting in God. And you have Cain, who offered something out of his own strength, his own will, to be accepted by God. Faith in God's acceptance and provision for forgiveness, or trusting in my own presentation of my own works to earn God's grace, to earn God's forgiveness. Those two things, right? Abel was very similar to Christ, and is actually called the first prophet. Cain was very similar to the Pharisees. All the presentation without the relationship. And this is played out further in how he treats those who are accepted by God. We see the Pharisees treated Jesus in a certain way. God punished Cain. He didn't listen to what God said, and so he repeated, you know, he reaped what he sowed. You're a farmer, and guess what's going to happen to you? Farming is going to be very difficult. You know, the relationships he had, 
he was in a certain place, hey, now you're, you're kicked out. You're going to go wandering. Same thing he did with his parents, right? You might think that you've buried it in the ground. It's hidden from God. But Cain, you can't, he won't be able to find Abel. God knows. And so, in ending here, it says, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me out from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be in a restless wanderer from the earth, and whoever finds me will be killed. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would be killed. And so God spared Cain. He showed mercy to him. He put a mark on him. That mark is not, you know, the African race, as some people say. We don't know what it is. It's just a mark. And everybody knew that if you touched that guy, you got sevenfold wrath of God coming on you. Why would God do that? What did Cain deserve? An eye for an eye. But God, yes, there were punishments, these things, but God gave him grace. He was merciful to him. Why would God do that? How many of you, when you were younger, have done really stupid stuff? Yeah, I think there's a collective yeah going on here. And how long did it take you to change your mind about that? Some of you are still going, I know. But there are things that I've done that I know God just smoked me for. And my heart was hard for years. And But you know, lo and behold, here I am years later, and I have a whole different view on that. And I am thankful for God's mercy and His grace that He did not give me what I deserved when I deserved it. Yes, I paid penalties and prices for these things. But, here I stand in God's grace with a changed heart. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You know, and it's even evidenced in this guy's, you know, relatives. It says in verse 16, it says, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, which means the wilderness, east of Eden. And Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. And Cain... Then built a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Arad. Arad was the father of Mahuahel. And Mahuahel was the father of Methushel. Methushel was the father of Lamech. And those names, El at the end, E-L, that's, that's God. It's very interesting that perhaps later in his life there was a, a change of heart, and there might have been an influence of God back into the family, back into his life and is reflected in his family. God's grace towards us. And so, just ending here, in Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other named Zillah. And God gave birth to, I'm sorry, and Ada gave birth to Jabal. Uh, He was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. Verse 21, his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. And Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forgot? Who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron? So bronze and iron was there at a very early state in man's history. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama, and Lamech said to his wives, and he has this little poem here: Adon Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. 
And if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Heard that before. Um, and so Lamech, that name means sorrow. And most likely where we get the word lament. Uh, why this guy lament uh, is stuck in here, I'm not certain. Because Cain's line gets cut off at the flood. But I do find it odd that he is decreeing forgiveness and he's decreeing protection when only God can give it. We don't make the rules. We don't get grace and mercy because we say we want it. We don't get forgiven because we want forgiveness. We have to ask. We have to ask God. And that's the main thing. Go to God this morning with whatever weighs you down, with whatever sin is in, in your life or has been in your life in your past, and ask, God, please forgive me. And by faith, God will absolutely absolve all of your sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And uh, just to finish the chapter, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. And Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So uh, let's let's pray. Father, we, we ask this morning that uh, as we look at this, this story of Cain and Abel, Lord, and the, and the, and the offerings, Father, I, you know, we, we are to be a people who who offer things from our heart to you, Lord. That our whole lives are to be an offering. God, from the money that we have, it's yours. To the kids you've given us, they're yours, Lord. To the cars, or the houses, or whatever it is, Lord. All the possessions, you know. God, they're yours. And we pray that just because we, we walk into a building on Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes or hour and a half, that we wouldn't think that because of our outward actions or because of what the amount we give or whatever it is, that that's what makes it accepted. But the, we would trust that we are accepted because of your son, because of what he did on the cross, and then we give out of a response to that. Lord, you accept that. So help us to be people who offer our lives through faith. And God, I pray that our actions would reflect that life of faith. And we ask, Lord, where there is a lack of trusting you in our lives, where there is a lack where our, our lives don't match up with what you say, and that happens in all of us, Lord, that you graciously come to us by your Spirit, point those things out, and that we would respond and say, yes, Lord, that's me. I blew it. And thank you for forgiving me that we would change our lives to match up with what you say and that we would have just joy on this earth. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord. Thank you for pulling us out of the pit. We pray that you'd lift our hearts this morning, that you'd speak truth into our lives. And where there are uh, strongholds of the enemy, you'd come in and kick them loose. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our friend. Amen.